This morning, um, we're going to conclude the series that we have been on. Sorry, I have more stuff on this table than I'm used to having here. I'm going to slide our little candle for a little bit. Get a little nervous with it sitting that close to me that I might knock it over. And that would be bad for all of us. Um, we're going to wrap up the series that we've been in. And this morning we're going to talk about the, the last of these guiding principles or values that our vision team has been discerning on Valley's behalf for the last several months. This morning we're going to talk about diversity. A couple of months ago, I had two conversations in the same week. <clears throat> the first was with a man probably in his 70s who was talking about his experience with Valley and the opportunity he'd had to be in worship with us. And as we were talking, he said to me, he said, I'm not sure if I expected this, but as I was in worship, I feel like Valley is a really young... Sorry, I have to balance this table. You know how I am. It'll drive me nuts. It's weird how that has to happen every week, right? This man said to me, I feel like Valley is a really young church. When I'm there, I look around and I feel like I'm one of the few old guys in the room. No joke, it was a day or two later. may have even been the same afternoon. I can't remember all the details to how it took place. I, I was struck by it, but I don't remember all the details. That I had another conversation, this time with a lady in her 30s. Who was talking to me about Valley and her experience that she'd had to be in worship with us. And she said, when I'm in worship with Valley, I feel just a little bit out of place because the church is such an old church. And I feel too young to be here and to be gathered with Valley. I feel like maybe I don't fit in. So I need you to hear this clearly this morning. Valley, we are not an old church. We are not a young church. We are the church. It's not about whether we're old or whether we're young. Because we are. But we are also every age gap that comes in between. We celebrate in every way that we can and know how that in this room there are people in their 80s and in this room there are pre-teens. We celebrate that these individuals come together, that we gather together as the body, that we're in this place, that, that as we watch generations sitting beside one another and loving on one another, that they're not, it's not even because they're just blood relatives. There's something really beautiful about grandma sitting with her grandchild in worship. I grew up with that experience, with my grandparents and my parents and my siblings and I all in worship together. There's something beautiful about it. But personally, I think there is something even more beautiful about a woman in her 80s gathered beside a young child or a young teenager whom she loves deeply, not because it's her blood relative, but because she is a part of her faith family. The relationship that Edith Higgs has with Juliana Elkins is beautiful. It is what we long for as the church. The way in which my four-year-old Emery loves Fred Eckhart and he loves her is beautiful. That is the way that the church is supposed to look. That is the way that we want to look. That is the church being the church. And as we look at Valley, not only are we a combination of young and old, we're also a combination of rich and poor. I don't look at any of your tax returns, as you know. I don't even look at what any of you give specifically. 
But I am aware, just in knowing you, that some of you have done fairly well financially. I'm also aware that there are some of you in this room that aren't sure how you'll pay the water bill when it comes. Much less the light bill or the phone bill or any other bill that comes. The water bill is one of the smallest I see. And there are some of us concerned about how we'll pay it when it comes. We have both gathered here together and a great beauty of who we are and who we want to be is that we don't segregate based on wealth or age or any other diversity. In fact, what we have decided to do as a church is we have decided to intentionally place all of our diversities in the same room together. So we do so in worship. And some of you don't love that that means that your children end up being in here earlier than you wish they were in here because you'd like for them to be downstairs. But that's okay because that's part of how we want to be diverse. That's the way we do our small groups so that they're mixed with with different ages and different genders and all kinds of different people put in the room together. Because we believe that there is something valuable and important about gathering together people who look different from one another and putting them in the same space and celebrating that when it happens. But this isn't normal, is it? Because everywhere I turn, I feel like I am being told that I am supposed to segregate myself off from people who look different from me. That, that for some reason I'm supposed to be afraid of people who come from a different country or a different culture. That I'm supposed to live in a different neighborhood than people who come from a different racial background or a different socioeconomic background. That I'm supposed to hate people who own guns for some reason. But I'm also supposed to hate people who are homosexual for some reason. In one ear, I'm hearing that I'm not conservative enough politically or theologically or socially. In the other ear, I'm hearing that I'm not progressive enough politically or theologically or socially. And in each ear, I keep hearing that those who are more conservative or those who are more progressive, different than what I'm being called to be, are somehow dangerous. That they intend to harm me somehow. I feel like I am constantly being told that I'm supposed to look at people and immediately identify the ways in which we're different. And then push them away because of those differences and hold on to people who look like me. That I can only be around people who have the same skin color. That I can only be around people who are in the same life stage. That I can only be around people who are from the same social class. That I can only be around people who have the same faith understandings as I have. That I can only be around people who vote like me. That I can only be around people who believe the same thing about every social issue as I do. That I can only be around people who have the same cultural understandings that I have. Now, I'm not the only one who feels like I keep getting pushed in this direction, right? This means yes. This means no. This means I'm asleep. And it's not a new problem, is it? This hasn't just recently begun. People have always tried to segregate or separate themselves from people who are different than them. 
In doing so, we find that there's less tension, there's less strife, there's less conflict, there's, there's less difficulty if we don't get around people who aren't the same as us. If we all look the same and talk the same and think the same and believe the same, then we don't really have anything to argue over. There's nothing to really debate or disagree on. We don't have to have these hard conversations that come up in life. Instead, we can all rally behind exactly the same things. But then we go a step further in that we tend to portray people who believe something different or look different or are different as the enemy. We are right. They are wrong. And it's not just in the world. The church experiences the same thing. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was quoted as saying that the Sunday morning worship hour is the most segregated hour in this nation. And according to statistics today, things haven't changed since he said that. We expect that there will be white churches and black churches and rich churches and poor churches and Latino churches and Korean churches and African churches and liberal churches and fundamentalist churches, liturgical churches and charismatic churches, young churches and old churches. How many do I have to name? I am tired of it. I'm tired of naming them and I'm tired of living this way. I am tired of being a separated church. I'm tired of feeling that for some reason I need to segregate myself from people who aren't the same as me. And I think that the Apostle Paul felt the same way. And that's why we see him repeatedly write to churches, reminding them that even though they may be different, that didn't mean that they should be separated. That they would have differences in the ways that they looked that they behaved, that they believed, that they practiced life and faith, but that they were brought together by one God and one Savior who loves us all the same. An example of that is the passage we read earlier where Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Chapter 3, he says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism... Have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. Slave or free. Male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ. You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Such a pressing issue that Paul wrote something similar to the church in Colossae and something similar to the church in Corinth and something similar to the church in Rome. And he wasn't arguing that their differences should be erased, but that they should stop dividing them. That they should stop valuing people as more or less valuable based on the ways in which they were different. In Corinth, he actually spent time celebrating some of the differences that that existed. Pointing them out, celebrating and talking about the value of each and how they all needed one another, even though they may or may not understand it. In some ways, he even tried to elevate those roles that we perhaps see as less important. And I believe... And our vision team believes that we are called to be this kind of church. We believe this is Jesus' dream 
for valley. I, I actually know that this is G- Jesus' dream for valley. And I want to tell you how. Because I think Jesus clearly told us so in the scriptures. If you remember a few weeks ago as we talked about healthy community, we looked at John chapter 17. And in that, we look at a prayer that Jesus prayed. And in that prayer, Jesus prayed that his disciples, that the church would be unified. That different kinds of people could all be as closely connected as Jesus is to the Father. Jesus had the opportunity to pray for anything. As as prayers were written down and and examples of Jesus' prayers were written down. Because we know that Jesus prayed all the time. But for some reason, this specific prayer is the one that has made it into our scriptures. This carried such weight and such value. Of all the things that Jesus could pray, Jesus prayed that the church would be unified, that we would have greater unity among us. And in another prayer that you know, a prayer that we prayed together just a few moments ago, the Lord's Prayer, the the, the prayer that Jesus modeled for us, that he said, pray this prayer. Not, Not a prayer like it, that's not what he was saying, even though we do that and that's okay also. But Jesus was saying, pray this prayer, pray these words. And as he prayed... In verse 10, he said, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we should pray that things will be the way that God desires for them to be. Here, just as they are in heaven, just as they are in the presence of God right now. So as God's partners, it means that we're praying, that we're asking for these things, but that we also recognize that in some ways, in many ways, we are the actual answers to God's prayer. So not only do we pray and just hope it happens, but it becomes responsibility for us to begin to work towards the things of God, to be present, to be real, to be alive and functioning here and now exactly where we are in our church and in our world. And I think that as Jesus prayed about things on earth being as they were in heaven, that he had many, many, many things in mind. But that at least one of them was that we be a unified and diverse church. Again, how do I know? I know because the scriptures make it clear to us that this was a desire of Jesus. If we look forward into the book of Revelation, we get all of these little glimpses of what kingdom of God fully played out looks like. So the kingdom fully present, what does it look like? We get glimpses in the book of Revelation. We get all kinds of other stuff, too, that's much harder to explain. If you want to know about that, ask Dr. Mosley or Jeff. Um, I can't tell you much. But, um, but we get all these little glimpses of what things look like when kingdom of God is fully present. And in chapter 7, we see this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne and their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Every nation and tribe and people and language, it says. 
We are given the picture that the day will come that different kinds of people will stop being separated and segregated and that we will all come together as one unified body. And that when we do so, that we will worship in different languages and different styles from different theological persuasions. I have to be honest, as I read this this week and I thought about it, I thought, I can't even imagine what that looks like. I can't fathom how all of that comes together. Red and yellow, black and white, you might remember from a childhood song that we learned. Gathered before the throne together. But also the idea of, of, of what it might mean to watch as people come and gather and they worship the Lord in Chinese and Spanish and English and Hindi and Arabic and Portuguese in Bengali and Russian and Japanese and Punjabi. And these are only the ten most common languages on the face of the earth. We could go ahead and add to it things like Swahili and Amharic and Pashto and Nepali, which are much less common. But the passage says people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation will come together. And as hard as it is to imagine what this looks like, in some ways, it's even harder for me to imagine what it looks like when we gather before the throne and there together are Lutherans and Pentecostals and Baptists and Catholics. How in the world is it possible? Oh, it sounds like a beautiful sight. An incredible privilege. But if I'm honest, it also sounds like a mess. Because when different people who look different from one another all come together, it gets messy. And that's one of the reasons that we avoid Integrating in this multitude of ways that we can. Because it's easier not to. It's more comfortable to be separate. It limits conflicts if we don't mix in all of this multitude of ways. But I am absolutely convinced that this isn't the desire of Christ. This isn't the way of the kingdom. This isn't the way of this church. And this cannot be the way of valley. We must be a people who pursue diversity even when it's hard. A people who celebrate that we are diverse even when it's uncomfortable. Who highlight our diversity and find ways to show it and display it and put it out for the world to see. Even when we're not sure how to pull it off or what might happen next. when We've allowed all these different people to come and gather together. In some ways, we pursue diversity before diversity is even among us. I, I showed up one week. I'd been out of town. I don't even remember all the details of how it happened. And then Morgan was up here doing sign language. And after that, I actually said to her, I love it. When are you going to be ready to start signing the sermons? She says, not yet. We don't need anyone to sign the sermons. Because none of you use sign language. But why would we wait until it's needed to start it? Why wouldn't we start it before it's needed so that we can celebrate that we long to be a place of diversity and that we want to prepare for this before it's even necessary among us? That this is what it looks like for us to move forward as a diverse people. One of a multitude of things that we need to do. I read two different uh, op-ed pieces in the newspaper recently by a guy named David Brooks, a name that you might know. Dr. Mosley actually sent me one of them. And Mr. Brooks is not a Christ follower. 
And in one of these pieces, the one that came from Dr. Mosley that he wrote, he was talking about his disappointment with the edges of our political systems. With the divisions and the factions and the hate that gets spewed back and forth from side to side. And in his article, he believed that moderates was the term that he used, needed to be called to an agenda. And this is what he wrote, some of what he wrote. It says, what is the core problem facing America today? It is division. The growing gaps between rich and poor, rural and urban, educated and less educated, black and white, left and right. What big idea counteracts division? Fragmentation, alienation. alienation. It is found in Leviticus. And Matthew, again, not a believer, it is found in Leviticus and Matthew, love your neighbor. Today's left and right are fueled by anger and seek conflict. The big ideas for moderates should be solidarity, fraternity, conversation across difference. These are some really great words. Now, if I were writing what he wrote, which I couldn't write nearly as well, but if I were writing, I would expand the problem and say, this isn't just an American problem. This is a global issue. This is an issue that we're dealing with all over the world, but I also want to push back on him just a little bit and say, this also isn't a political agenda. This is the church. This is the way of the kingdom. This is what Jesus has called Valley to be. So a non-believer has written in the New York Times that the answer to the problems that our country sees right now is for the church to be the church. Now, he didn't say it that way. He didn't even know that he's trying to say it that way. But those were his words. That it is time for the church to be the church and stop fighting with one another over all all the ways in which we're different. And instead, begin to love people more boldly. And at Valley, we want to be the kind of people who are loving one another as a healthy community. We've talked about that as a core value of ours. With missional living, we've talked about that as a core value of ours. Because of the work of spiritual transformation, a core value of ours, that the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. And as a vision team, we believe this is what it looks like for us to be finding the way forward. We believe that a part of this is that we must be a people who pursue diversity. Because this is what love looks like. We pursue diversity because this is what Jesus looks like. We pursue diversity because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. We pursue diversity because this is what the church looks like. This is what Valley looks like and should look even more like in the days ahead. We pursue diversity because this is the kind of loving one another that just might change the world. And if there's anything that we believe we as a church have been called to as we move forward is that we have been called to be a piece of changing the world. So my invitation to you this morning is that you will join us in finding the way forward. Because I believe with all of my heart that some of the most beautiful days in the life of our church are ahead. I believe that in the future we will see days 
of discerning God's will and spiritual transformation and authenticity and sacred rhythms and healthy community and missional living and generosity and diversity. The things that we have proclaimed we want to be, some of our guide rails, some of our our stakes in the ground, the things that push us forward, and it's going to be an incredible ride. So don't miss it. And don't miss the opportunity to bring others with us. Friends, I want to encourage you to go and tell the people in your life that your little church on York Road is going to be a part of changing your life and changing the world. And they should come be a part of what's happening here. Pray with me, would you? Precious Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. Hear in us our longings to be all that you've called us to be. Make of us a people who pursue, embrace, and celebrate diversity among us. Diversity of race and culture, of language and social status, of economic background, diversity of belief, diversity in every way we can imagine possible because you have proclaimed that there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female. We, even in our differences, have been brought together as one people, the people of God, the body of Christ, the family of God. Through your love, through the grace of Jesus, through the unbelievable power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.